speaks, it is so for us to abide with you. So we lift you up, Jesus, and we thank you so much for being our God, our maker, our creator, the creator of all things. We thank you, Lord. We bless you and we praise you. Open up our ears, open up our hearts, open up our eyes today to see what you have for us fully. And we thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen, and praise God. So I was sharing, I think, when we did communion, we had a communion service. Where we have that? It was at the Rejoice Detroit. Yeah, which reminds me, we had a prophecy dealing with intercessors yesterday at the Rejoice Detroit meeting. So if any of you missed it, I ain't going to let you hear it. <laughs> like them apples. Ain't that mean? I know some people run their churches like that. They quit, they quit taping the sermons. They say, if you want something, you need to come to church and get it. So, you know, but I ain't like that. It ain't my job to do that. I'm not here to punish anybody. I'm here to encourage you in your faith and encourage you to get what you get live. You've already been warned the revival will not be televised. So you can't get it on, on uh, well, you definitely can't get it on the CNN and all that stuff, but you can't get on TBN, can't get on Netflix, you can't get on none of them stuff y'all always sucking up some stuff on. So yeah, you're going to have to participate in this one's going to be alive. So uh, always be willing to do the thing that will get what you need from God in a live manner and uh, learn how to be there and and participate and let God see you showing interest in it. You know, I, I realize sometimes we feel like we have reasons to be absent, but I'd rather be present any day of the week. I'd rather have a reason to be present than a reason to be absent so it's good so when we were doing the communion service uh, i said to my to my horror never having noticed before but you know god will do this to you You're always thinking you know you've been doing this so long you know nothing's really new anymore and so i realized after reading a different accounts of the last supper uh from which we teach communion uh in the gospels i realized that the gospel of john uh, the Passover, uh, they were celebrating the Passover and Last Supper in the 13th chapter. And then I noticed Jesus went on to talk to them for several more chapters. Whereas the other chapters, he immediately goes out to be crucified. And I thought, well, this is important. Why didn't I see this before? I've been reading these chapters, but you know what I'm saying. But, uh, so there so i felt it was important i said well god this stuff's important <laughs> we've been i've been skimming over this i'm thinking that uh because there's so much teaching in it you don't think of that connected with something he would do before his death but when i think about it i'm thinking to myself yeah he would prepare people he would he would that's when you give your last will and testament really is before you leave and so had that having been said, I thought it would be uh, uh, beneficial to us to go through uh, John chapter 14 and understand the teachings of the new covenant from what Jesus shares with his disciples here. That's really rich because you don't share your will with people who are not going to be heirs, you know. And so there he is sharing his last wishes and his uh, desires and his plans for their future with them uh, right before his death. And it's significant because um, many people 
when they understand that they are about to depart this life, will gather their loved ones around them and begin to share plans for their future and what they have uh, laid up for them, what their, what their inheritance would, will be. All of these significant things are done in the last months. I remember my husband uh, sitting, trying to sit me down several times and talk to me, and I wouldn't let him talk to me, um, you know, for obvious reasons. I didn't want to face the fact that he probably wouldn't survive his illness. But you have to do these things. You have to understand they understand that life goes on. There's life beyond uh, where they would depart from life, and you have to understand. But at the same time, you don't want to hear that that loved one is leaving. And so that's where the disciples were. They were resisting understanding that Jesus wouldn't be with them forever the way they knew him to be with them but he was opening up understanding of a new way of living for them and you can see in these these discourses that several times he begins to reassure them that they would not be alone and that's the the difference i think between an eternal lifeblood covenant and a regular man's covenant, say a, a normal will of a departed loved one who just has thinks about mortal living. You know, uh, when you when you think about it, you will be alone to a certain extent. I mean, nobody can reassure you uh, if a spouse dies, they can't reassure you you won't be alone. You got me? They they can't tell you that, but Jesus could, and he did. And that's significant because what he is saying in, in his words to them is that I've taken care of you throughout eternity. See, when a, 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 a mortal passes away, they can only leave you the material things that they've accumulated that pertain to this life. But Jesus gives us things that pertain to eternal life so it goes on and on and on without end and so the life that he is uh, leaving them and the covenant that he's leaving with them is something that will take care of them um, probably in a much greater way than he ever could while he was just one person living down here on earth so and that's the big difference because mostly when we have loved ones that pass away um, there's some kind of loss there you know, you miss them, uh, you can only have memories about them and that kind of thing. But for somebody to say, your life is really going to get better <laughs> at my leaving, at my departing, is really something, something. Because, you know, you know, people like, for instance, uh, say kids who are waiting on granny to pass away because she got a lot of money socked away somewhere, you know, they're going to treasure the material things much more than the relationship. But if it's somebody that you treasure relationship, you're going to miss them, at least the relationship you're going to miss, you know, if you had anything to do with them. But Jesus assures them that your relationship with me is going to get better. It's going to get an upgrade. Uh, he keeps saying, it's better for you that I go. And that's amazing to say when you're a person who has relationship with people and you're about to die. 
And so it's significant, all the things that he talks about in this departure message are significant for us because they give us assurances that we are well taken care of. You got me? Well taken care of. Uh, I think that's always something that when people pass away, uh, you know, oftentimes you think about well what did they leave did they leave anything did they have anything did they what did they well they had a nice insurance policy and that was enough to lay them away and every now and then you'll hear somebody well they were pretty well taken care of you know they won't have any worries in their life and that's what we want to hear even though we don't like hearing that that loved one has departed at least they had they did what they could to assure the the uh, um I guess you could say the well-being of the the heirs that are left behind. And so Jesus does more than just take care of us. He leaves us in better condition for his dying than they were knowing him during his life. And that's something, that's really something to say. You know, I'm going, but. I'm leaving, but. You're going to be alone, but so there are a lot of buts in there that take care of us in a greater way than we ever could have been taken care of if he had remained here on the earth walking around. He had to die in order to make it better for us in so many ways. So if you go to John chapter 14, as we'll start in verse 1, and Jesus is talking to his disciples and he says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Amen. Do not. Anybody ever listen to Sean Hannity? He says this all the time. <laughs> Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, <laughs> he's, he's a, a Catholic and he understands these things. He's, it's going to get better. You know, these things are bad now, but they're going to get better. He says, "Don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me." So Jesus lets us know that. The way in this covenant is to believe in the Father and the Son. And this is so important because there are so many religions out there that talk about uh, one name, a name of one God. You know, there's Buddha and then there's uh, Muhammad and, and, you know, down through the ages they've been religions that have come and gone. But Jesus says, believe in me and my Father. In other words, you belong to a family. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you're putting faith in a family. Now, in covenant terms, that's extremely important because, say, for instance, the um, the old ways of getting along with people, you would cut covenant with somebody. Uh, for the sake of of improved life, we'll put it that way. Uh, if there were two tribes that uh, lived on a mountain and uh, there was no way to get up there except, uh, you know, there's maybe uh, some kind of natural barrier that separates them from the mean crew world out there, the two tribes would say, well, we don't want to sit up here and fight each other while we're trying to protect. Let's get together. And form a covenant or a man's agreement 
or treaty or something like that, with a contract, whatever you want to call it, so that when we are attacked, we will be secure because we'll, we'll band together in time of difficulty. And that's what the covenant was really about. It had to do with securing your future, making yourself safe, make yourself protected. And this is why you made covenant with other groups of people. The more people you can covenant with and the stronger they were, the better was your covenant. So if you, you say, if you came from a tribe that had maybe uh, 20 families and you see this big, vast wilderness out here and you don't know what's coming over the hill, it's better for you if you covenant with somebody who's maybe got 40 families. And chances are they're so big and strong and powerful, you won't have to go out to fight. See what I'm saying? You sit there and let them do all the heavy work. Uh, you know, and, and there are countries that will form treaties just for that purpose. Uh, many people are critical of the United Nations because some of the member nations that don't have much wealth are kind of like living off the more powerful ones. When they're all supposed to contribute to their common good, they just don't do it anymore. And so you can see that there's a benefit to the weak ones when you have strength that you can connect with. Strong people need to wonder, is it any benefit to me to have these weak people hanging on me? You know, But God isn't like that, thank God. Amen. And so Jesus lets us know that when you covenant, when you believe in me, you must believe in the Father that sent me. In other words, I'm not some kind of uh, icon running around here acting alone on my own. I'm not doing this just for my personal fame. I'm doing this because you have a Father in heaven who cares about you, and he sent me as his representative so that you can see what he looks like. So the Father and I are one. I'm not acting alone. Now, what does that mean for us? That means that there's some backup to our relationship in Christ. There is some strength there that we don't see all the time, but we have some glimpses of it through him. For instance, we know that the Father is almighty. How do we know that? Because of the works that Jesus did. And so Jesus wants people to know, and, and this is an assurance for us, for a man who is about to be killed, we've got to know there's somebody else because he's gone now. Somebody else backing him up. Somebody else we can go to. This isn't the end because the world is going to kill him and hate him. But that's not the end of who he is. He was sent here as an ambassador and representative of the Father who is everlasting, will never die, owns everything. So if this person that you have covenant with dies, you're still in good shape because he's representing somebody else who's much bigger, stronger, more powerful. When a normal, say if a loved one dies, say a spouse dies or a parent dies. You don't have any reassurance like that, that, that there's somebody there to take care of you beyond who they were in your life. But with Jesus, he wants us to know, you're not making covenant with just a mere man who has no backup family somewhere to help you. If something happens to me, what's going to happen to you? And see, when we deal with just individual people, that's always the fear. If they die and something happens to him, how am I going to make it? And that's just normal to think like that. So when Jesus says, believe in me and believe in the Father who sent me, it's like, whew, 
because he's going to die and he was not the only one we've got a father he had a father that sent him here so we got a backup we got more strength we got somebody we can count on we got somebody who can go to bat for us this is a strong covenant when there's more than one person making that covenant with you that puts you in a position of strength and power so that when when the uh the in 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 a man's covenant you had to depend on the descendants of that person if that person died that covenant if it was a blood covenant the responsibility to uphold the covenant felt on their heirs on the children i'd rather trust in the father who's eternal than to trust in somebody's kids taking care of me because granny died you understand what i'm saying so this is a a totally different type of covenant because it ascends the authority and responsibility for our welfare ascends up to the highest place instead of descending down to just mere man or somebody that jesus my or the disciples the flaky disciples you know you don't have to depend on them to come to your rescue if you need anything from god jesus had a father and he said for us to go to him in his absence so that we can get everything that we need so we're not depending on a weakness the covenant getting weaker and weaker and weaker the covenant's strong and it's always been strong because god the father's in heaven and he's eternal and so you have tapped in now to an eternal covenant that will never end an eternal covenant that was strong from the beginning an eternal covenant somehow this man jesus who walked the earth has introduced the world into god the father and everlasting life and an eternal covenant that gets stronger and stronger every time it's preached and so it's a a very very unique thing that jesus has introduced us into so when he says believe in god he said you believe in me believe also in the father that sent me so he says don't let your hearts be troubled in other words i'm gonna die but don't you worry about it you are well taken care of amen you're well taken care of believe you believe in god believe also in me my father's house has many rooms king james says in my father's house there are many mansions he said if it were not so would i have told you that i'm going to prepare a place for you so he's saying i am going to prepare a place for you now this is a covenant term it's also a marriage term so here we introduce a different type of relationship so what jesus is saying is i have a father and there are many rooms in my father's house now to the average hebrew their ears shoot up when they say i'm going to my father's house and there's a room for you that's a marriage proposal in hebrew culture that was a marriage proposal because when they were married there was a family plot of land and when you asked a woman to marry you you were given a portion of that home which they called a mansion and many times when them as the engagement proceeded 
the groom the future groom would go and start building on to the family property so that that little house the little bridal chamber was known as the mansion and that was the last addition to so as as sons got married they added on to the house and it became an estate or it became a compound or whatever you might want to call it so this mansion he said and jesus says there are many rooms wait a minute hold it how many wives you put in there see there's always that thing in there that's unique about this covenant because what he's saying is if i were just asking you as a man to to marry a woman i we don't need one room now you know how many rooms you know what i'm saying you need one uh living quarters for for you for life as you know at some point as the marriage progresses you get children you would get more land you get your own house out on the property to accommodate your family as your family grows but jesus is saying already there's many rooms in other words there's a place for everybody who wants to say yes to me and the father in this mansion or this house that my father has so when he says it has many rooms they probably say huh now it's enough for a man to be telling a man that and they can probably do well jesus you know he talks like that sometime i know he talked about heaven probably whatever whatever but when he says said many rooms that means that the father has room for many many people and he wants those rooms filled up he, and that's our job as believers to fill those rooms with as many lost souls as we can bring them into the kingdom preach the gospel to them so what jesus is doing is not only setting them up for their own benefit but also introducing them to the work of the ministry that will continue after he's gone so he says if i've got many rooms he says i'm going to prepare a place for you and you and you and you and you and everybody here and an eternal number of rooms for all humanity that would believe on me and believe in the father the bible says that you must believe on the father and the son in order to have life in christ you just can't believe amen if you confess with your mouth the lord jesus and believe in your heart god raised him from the dead you will be saved and you must believe that jesus is the son of god got to believe that so he is explaining here to them his plan for for throughout eternity in other words this is the the master plan and the terms of the new covenant so we need to understand that we are in covenant with a family when you're in covenant with a family there's greater strength mafia people know that much huh you know you you belong you start you get adopted into a family with those people you know it's not just uh, some other guy that's there there's a strength there there's a comfort there there's something you have a place in something much bigger than what you are and that's what jesus is wanting us to know about his covenant so in verse uh what did we just have verse two he says in my father's house there are many rooms if that were not so i would have told you and that i'm going there to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i will come back and take you to be with me so that where i am there you will be also he says you know the way to the place where i am going and so they are very very perplexed by this thing 
because what Jesus says is, says, I've got to go and prepare a place for you. So that's a little familiar. They know that's a, a marriage, a term uh, signifying a marriage covenant, but also for men who are standing there, it, it signifies a blood covenant as well. Because if you have a blood covenant with someone, part of the terms of the covenant would be that if you got to the place where you had no place to live, they have to prepare a place for you so that you can have a place to come and stay if you ever get to that point. And so Jesus says something different, though. It's not just if you ever need it, but this will be a place where I want you to be. I'm coming back to get you to take you there. So this is a permanent place for you. This is something beyond just the normal natural realm or the natural realm of living. Because if if Pastor Shirley and I... And she said, well, well, you know, you know, if anything happens, you know, you know, you know that when you're family. Uh, and, and I expect that because if I decide I want to take care of that house no more, I say, Gigi, <laughs> you got room, Gigi, come in. Oh, Chuck's over there. Kick Chuck out. I'm just, you know, I was going to throw that in. Kick Chuck out. I'm your sister. You know, that kind of stuff. So, you know, the place we ain't kicking Chuck out. Well, you roll over, Chuck, because you got company for the night. Or whatever, but uh, me and Chuck just shared a bed before, so that ain't no big deal. But, you know, that's the way families are. You just know that as long as you got some blood kin somewhere, you have a place. But Jesus said, this is going to be a challenge for you because I am going to have to leave you in order to prepare the place for you. Now, what does that mean, prepare? Eh? When it was the the natural bride and groom situation, the the groom would go and start buying materials to add on to the family property. And so if Jesus is going away and he's going to live with the Father in heaven, he's going up there to help us build a life in him by what we do down here. So as he is helping us to build our life, what is he doing? Well, the Bible says he lives forever to make intercession for us. So he goes to the Father in preparing a place for us or preparing an abode for us. He begins to help us down here to build our mansion up in heaven. You've heard people speak of that sometimes, especially some of the older saints who are very interested in heaven all of a sudden. You know what I'm saying? But we should be all along. But they'll talk about what kind of timber are you putting into your mansion up in heaven? What kind of bricks are you putting into your mansion up in heaven? And so Jesus is helping us to build what will be our eternal abode with him. So as the bride, we actually help in the building by the works that we do down here. Because doesn't the Bible says your works will prove you whether they be of hay, stubble, brick, or whatever they are. And so the ones that are hay and stubble, they get burned up. In the, so that's somebody who makes a confession and gets saved and never do nothing for God afterwards, you see. So we cooperate in the building, but we're not building because if you think about it later on christ is going to say because i will be in you and with you 
So as our bridegroom, he lives in us and he is building in us our spiritual house, our mansion in heaven, so that where we will be, he will be there also. So he's actually doing the work inside of us to build our eternal spiritual house. So that's why he says, where I go, you're going to come there. He said, but you got to wait till I come back for you. You don't get up there before it's time. For all you anxious brides who want to, you know what I'm saying? Want to get a brother with a half-built house? Wait on that brother to get some money and stuff so he can take care of you. You know what I'm saying? Just don't don't let him park you anywhere. <laughs> well, that's what Jesus is saying. He said, he said hey, y'all got that already. Y'all done done that. Most women rush. You know, women want to get married. Men don't. Poppy. Men, women want to get married. Men don't. Can I get an amen? Men want sex, S-E-X. Jeez. No, I was talking about, what was I talking about? I was. In the mansion in heaven, I was doing good. Y'all pull me out of the... Yeah, well, don't be rushing these brothers. Let them make up their mind. <laughs> if now, just between me and you, start taking too long, you need to move on. Pull up stakes and move on. Huh? <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> don't have no stakes in the game. But uh, that's the truth. So that'll motivate a man. If you do it God's way. Amen. Amen. Let him stay motivated. (laughs) So Jesus is going to prepare a place for us. And it looks like we've got to work to get there, but we don't. He is in us doing the work. It's the spirit of Christ through righteousness in him that prepares what we have to live in eternally now what does that mean what that means is that god because you are married or betrothed to his son god already has a plan for your life that's built into the son so you don't get you don't get to plan everything we have a rough idea of what we want out of life but you'll miss the best part if you don't connect with the sun just period and so if we see life can be full of joy it can be full of all see when we when we say we want to do this when we grow up or do that when we grow up we are actually borrowing ideas of fulfillment from what we see in our environment you see maybe you know you see your parents have a good marriage you want that or maybe you see some people you know that have high-powered jobs, you want that. And so what we, what we put our hopes in is really a jigsaw puzzle of things that we've accumulated over a period of time. Well, what God says is just wipe the table clean, take all the pieces of the puzzle and wipe them off. I've got something else for you because I have a plan for your life that is built into my son and you've never met him before. 
So when you come into relationship with Christ and he begins to take over, that's why people get frustrated trying to carry out what they think is a plan for their lives and you find this conflict on the inside. You can't quite get it off the ground. That's because you've already, you are betrothed or you are, are, are promised to Christ. You haven't joined with him yet, but he begins to live in you and he begins to build that mansion by taking over rooms in your heart. So your mansion is built on the inside of you first. And then when you get to heaven, you go get to see what you really built. Y'all understanding this? It, it comes. That's the way spiritual things are. See, when we pray for things. They're, they're somewhere already. If you couldn't pray for anything that didn't exist already somewhere. Or it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be faith, it would be fantasy. You got me? You're building your hope on something that just really ain't there. And so when, when, when Jesus talks about God's riches being in glory, and faith is the substance of things hoped for, and evidence of things not seen, it doesn't say things that don't exist. It says they're, they're not seen. They exist somewhere or you couldn't have faith in them. You got me? Just like God told Moses when, he, when Moses was building the temple, God said, build it like what I showed you that exists in heaven. God, Moses wasn't building some temple he didn't know. It existed already up in heaven. So these are real things. They're just in the unseen realm. So when you ask God for a husband, he's already somewhere in the unseen realm. And you can't, I don't care how much you yank and push. Come on, husband. I see you, husband. Come on. And he ain't somebody you've seen already. He may, you may, you may have seen him, but you don't know him as husband. See, these things are revealed. It might be somebody that's sitting right next to you in church or in a building or anywhere. It's just he hasn't been revealed as your husband. So God has to reveal that to you and reveal it to him. Am I right, Poppy? Don't have nobody claiming none belong to somebody else. <laughs> Praise God. So he says here, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go, if I start building, that means I'm going to finish it for you. He says, if I start preparing something for you, that means it's going to come to completion. So when, when, when you start living for God, and there are certain things that God tells you he wants you to do, and nothing in your life works until you do them, that's because he's keeping his word right there. He said, I'm preparing a place for you based on what I got planned for your life and not what you got up your sleeve. He said, I'm looking far beyond this little, this little you know, place we live in down. Uh-uh. No. That's not even in the consideration. Only thing that's in consideration in your life as far as this world down here are the souls in it that he wants you to go and win for him. There are some souls that have your name on them because he's looking for you to do the prayer, for you to do the witness, 
You can't just pass it off to somebody else to do. He's holding you accountable for that. And he's always moving us to complete the works that he has ordained for us to do. Why? Because that helps him fulfill his promise right there. He says, I'm preparing a place with your name on it that has your ministry on it, has your works on it, has your life on it, has your effort on it. And I'm expecting you to cooperate with me so that we together can build the life that I want you and I to have throughout eternity. People don't really understand God's method of reward and all that kind of stuff. But we have an idea that it's predestined works that he has already said. Why would he let you go and do something else, do a substitute work in his name? Hmm? In fact, he has an answer for them people. Lord, Lord, we cast out devils in your name. We did this. He said, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I didn't know you. So as a bride, groom, building a mansion for his beloved bride, he is particular about what he puts into that building. That's why it has to be foreordained works. It has to be stuff the father tells him. He said, look, I put this gift in this person and that gift in this person, and I am dependent. The earth is depending upon her to be at X place for X number of years doing X work for me, and nothing will substitute for that. So you can't play this religious game about God told me and God told me. No, if that, it's like many people say things like, uh, remember the man at the gate beautiful? Now Jesus walked past that gate many times. There, there are accounts of him going into that temple that was the gate that, that was before you got into that temple. And people say things like, well, why did that man have to wait until the disciples came, Jesus walked by him many times. What was it? He didn't have faith. He said, no, 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 no. Don't try and indict that man for not having faith when Jesus was alive. If Jesus' name wasn't on that miracle, he don't get to do it. Even though he is the son of God. These are foreordained works. And so that should help some people out when you start to wonder why you don't get your life together or why it don't work like you want it to work. Have you checked in with with the bridegroom to see if you're doing the foreordained works? There's works with your name on it that's sitting waiting for you to do that you haven't stepped into the arena of the doing of them yet. And your life is not going to move too far until you get to doing it. You got me? It's just, listen, you might say about what's down here. Get a clue. Anybody who's so hung up, stuck up, and crazy about what goes on down here, I got news for you. Whatever you do down here is adding timber to your mansion up there. Is adding life to that eternal thing. We should be more more geared into eternal things than temporal anyway. You know, you get too caught up in life down here, you broke. You know, you try to get, well, I wanted to, uh, I want to be a house flipper. If God ain't told you to flip nothing, you don't get to flip it. You get to watch some shows and, and see how nice that is for somebody who's maybe called to do that. Huh? But you don't get to do none of that if that ain't on your plate to do. Do you realize what a waste it is 
of anointing, divine talent, divine input for us to get involved in these carnal things, temporal things down here without getting involved in the things of God. Just ask him if you've got time left to do some flipping or whatever else you think you're. And there are people very gifted for it. It's just not a foreordained work by God. You get to pulling against Jesus and he trying to get you over here and you trying to go over there. You got a tug on your hands. My advice, stay with what he gives you. Dance with the one that brung you. Huh? And go home with him. So he says in verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I'm going to come back and take you with me. I like that. Somebody coming back for you. You don't have to beat him up and beg and force him to do is already committed to come back for you. He says, he says, you know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going and how can we know the way? See, without the Holy Spirit, these things are perplexing to people. That's why it's good to get them saved first before you go to try to explain a whole lot of detail to, to unsaved people about because they'll just laugh at you or, you know, whatever. They're the enemies of God's kingdom. But Thomas is interested in knowing because he's a disciple. And Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Still confused. And Jesus answered, you don't know me, Philip, even after I've been among you for such a long time. So Jesus is saying here, when you see me, you see the Father. Because the Father and I are one. Now he's the only person really who can make that claim. Now we know the Father, but whether we do everything he says or we imitate him perfectly, you know, the answer probably is no. But Jesus was the only one who could claim that when you see me, you see the Father. In other words, I do nothing except what the Father tells me to do. When I live in you, I'm going to cause you to do the same things. That's what he means when he says, I am the way. So if, if what Jesus did through his life is a turn off to you, you're going to be turned off. Because he is going to compel us to do exactly the same things that he did. In other words, when we see sick people, we are to pray for them and leave them of their suffering and pray for them to be healed. When we see people in need, we are to go to the Father on their behalf and intercede for him. If he tells you to give them something to meet that need, you're going to have to do it. If he tells you to go out of your way to show love to somebody, like the Good Samaritan did, we're going to have to do those things. You understand what I'm saying? So the things that Jesus did, because he did exactly what the Father told him to do, put him in line for an inheritance. And that's what's important about that statement also. When you see me, you see the Father. In other words, I'm... I own the inheritance, or I've earned the inheritance, or I have a right to the inheritance because I've done exactly what the Father told me to do. 
See, in Hebrew culture, that was very important because many of their patriarchs, you know you have stories about prodigal son, went off and squandered his inheritance, etc., etc. You didn't know if he was in line for the rest of the inheritance. Many people blow their inheritance, and you don't want to be connected with people like that. So Jesus has already said, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and come back for you. Well, where are you taking me? I'm taking you to the Father's mansion. He said, and, and who is the Father? What, what is he like and all? He said, well, if you've seen me, you've seen him. And because you can see the works that I've done and, and you have followed me all this time and trusted me and you know I'm trustworthy, you know you can trust the Father as well. That when the Father tells you to do something, you see me working that out in your life so that you know you please the Father. If I can please him, you can too because I'm living in you now, you see. So we're all one and the Father is trustworthy. The Father doesn't hate you. See, people can love Jesus but hate God because they think God's mean. They don't know anything. But when you see Jesus, you see the Father. So this is important for us to know as believers because if you can see Jesus being compassionate, healing people, instead of the Father does the same thing. He got, he got that idea from him. And so you can trust the Father's love to work on your behalf in a good way. You know, remember uh, the COVID, you know, some of the faith people, God is a good God. Why? Because people thought he was mean. Even though you see Jesus in the Bible, Jesus ain't mean. He's meek and mild and everybody loves Jesus, but we're scared of the Father. So it's important for us to know that these, this personality that Jesus was is an exact replica of who the Father is. So you can trust the Father. He's not mad at you. He's not coming to get you. He's not going to stomp you or put you through any changes because Jesus didn't. If you could say that about the Father, you'd have to be able to say that about the Son. And we can't say that about Jesus. We can say that he, if anything, he loved beyond what was normal for people. And so he will do the same thing through us. That's why sometimes it's it's challenging to live this Christian life because we have to love the unlovable. We have to help people that betray us over and over and over again. You have to do all the same things that he did. And why? Because he lives in you not doing it anyway. You're just going along with, with his program for your life. And then you get credit for it. In your mansion, you put another you put another brick in the wall. Huh? Go out <laughs> another notch on your belt. So Jesus says, Don't you know me, Philip? This is in verse nine. Even after I've been among you for such a long time. In other words, go to the Bible and look at what Jesus was like. Look at what he did. He rebukes Philip because Philip says, Well, how can we know this? And Jesus said, You've been walking with me all these years. You know, pay attention. This is another whole story in itself. Amen. But Jesus is the way. And this takes the pressure off of us to try and work out our salvation apart from his help and from his guidance and his direction. If he is the way, then he must lead us plus empower us to do the work that allows us to follow him. So he says, Jesus says, take up your cross and follow me. In other words, following him is not a free ride. It's a costly ride. 
And so he will do the work if we will. And taking up your cross really means whatever it is that you would you're dying to have that you can't have right now. Jesus was on the cross and he suffered much. And our cross will cause us to suffer. With, with, with most American Christians, it's just you can't have everything you want the carnal way. You know, and we can't do our little shortcuts and our little razzmatazz and then come back and say, <laughs> that was wrong. Jesus, that was wrong. No, you don't get away with that. Amen. You've got to grow up. And you have to understand the, the benefit of discipline, which is what human flesh really hates. We hate the discipline. The Bible says that Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And so, and he doesn't require that from us. What he requires from us is for our good. See, we get total benefit from, I'm so thankful that God didn't let me just divorce my husband or let my marriage go when it was in trouble, when we were just married seven years. He incapacitated me huh well, I couldn't do anything see most of y'all get to come in on I was going to say on all fours <laughs> two feet you know you keep your job You. I didn't have one I didn't work for five years Why? I wasn't mentally capable of handling the strain of a job But I had to be at home reading my Bible and let God teach me how to be a Christian woman and how to be a Christian wife. Why? For his glory. I'm putting timber in my house. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I could (laughs) have... Tall and ten and young and lovely, the girl from Inchbanima does... Once she passes, goes, ah. That was me in my fantasy life. Honey, you leaving me? I don't think so, unless you're going to crawl out of here. You understand what I'm saying? But I wasn't mentally capable of, of being myself. So when you're not yourself, you have to settle for what you have. It's a little fragments that God allows you to have that you build your new life with. See, we go through a little strain and we ready to throw the towel in. Huh? Well, he looking all funny. He ain't bought me nothing and don't be doing nothing for me. I got to wash all the dishes and everything. Change the baby. You know. Us women's, we done come a long way since then. Okay, keep, keep going your long way. Huh? But if that's your cross, you better pick that cross up. Huh? And act like it ain't hurting you. <laughs> I'm serious. You know, un- until real joy comes in your situation, you're going to have to act like it's okay. Huh? So Jesus is the way. See, people don't like, people like faith talk. You know, confess it to death, believe it to death, you can have it. There's nothing in that about picking up a cross. You understand what I'm saying? Which is where most Christians live. And we can't understand why we're not being taught the reality of Christianity. We're just being taught about the goodies all the time. 
And then difficulty comes and it might last for a few years. And you you lose heart because people have been telling testimonies about all they did was confess the word and stood on the word and they got a miracle. They got all kind of money and all kind of stuff that you can't get. Thank God for that. You're building a house now because you're different. See, faith is the new religion. It's not faith anymore. It's the new religion. People think they can pick up some steps and formulas. If I grab a scripture, meditate on it for five minutes, and start confessing it, it's going to show up in my garage. Now, oh yeah, but you got a tithe too. Now you got to get a man of God his money. So, am I telling the truth? So that's the new religious spirit. You hear a lot of people com- correcting you on your confession now, like they know God. See, and and it's a big deception because there it's like aliens among us. The church is now infiltrated with all these religious aliens that don't talk about long dresses and, and buns in the back. Now it's the confession people. That's the new religion, new religious spirit. If if Christ isn't in it, it's religion anyway. And so really, this this teaching is your safeguard against religion. Why? Because Christ is the center of it. Your relationship with him is the center of the new covenant. It's all about relationship with him. So in verses, where was he at? Oh, Jesus is talking to Philip in verse 9. He said, don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? In other words, Jesus is saying the scriptures talked about me. And the Father was the author of the scriptures. The father was the one that talked with Moses when he came down and, and he came down in a, a fire and he came down in a cloud and all that kind of stuff. That voice thundered from heaven. So the father and the son would meet with them all of the time. Amen. And so Jesus is saying, you know a lot about me. He said, you can see the father's works in me. These are the things that the father promised that the Messiah would do when he came to the earth. And he says... The words I say to you, he said, don't you believe that I am in the Father, the Father's in me, that's verse 10. The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father's in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. In other words, Jesus is saying You guys keep thinking I'm a mere man. When I walked on the water, you kept saying, marveling, wondering how I could do this. Well, who do you think created the oceans? And who do you think calms the seas when they need it? Who do you think talks to the earth and makes it do what he wants it to do? It's the Father that does this. So there's evidence right there that the Father's working in me. If I have command over all these elements, don't you know that comes legitimately from the Father? And so Jesus then starts to begin to draw them into, you have a covenant with the Father who is in heaven and not just a mere earthly man 
that you think is another prophet or somebody who's anointed to do miracles. I am really the son of God. And as the son of God, I can offer this covenant to you. The prophets couldn't do that. None of the miracle workers could do that. Jesus is the only one who can offer you a proper relationship with the Father because it comes through him. He's the heir of all of the Father's love. He's the heir of all the Father's possessions. He is heir of the whole earth, and he is the one who can offer you these things. So Jesus begins to clear up this this confusion they have about his identity doing the best he can knowing that he's about to go to the cross and leave them he is preparing them as best he can for their life after this and he says here he says he says uh, in verse very truly in verse 12 i tell you who whoever believes in me will do the works that i have been doing why because i'll be the one living in you doing the works and the father who lives in me now will do the works in you just like me. So, so you have the father and the son dwelling in you. The father really is the one who gives you the visions and the dreams. You can see that from his relationship with Moses. The father, really, if you think about it, uh, if, if words, Jesus is, is the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. They're the same thing. He is the expression. The Bible says he is the express image of the invisible God. So he is the way the Father wants to express himself to us. So as the express image, express image, words express details about images. A word is an offspring of a thought. I don't care how much you say the devil made me say that or I didn't mean to say that. You don't say anything you don't think of first. So just as the word is an offspring of a thought, so Jesus being the offspring of the father. So the father really is the brains behind the operation. So the father comes up with concepts comes up with visions he comes up with uh, expressions he's the one who has the ideas jesus being his word and his son expresses them so your words are birthed out of your thoughts just like jesus is birthed out of the father's thoughts you got me and so the father then being the one who has the concept and what that means is that nothing that jesus tells you to do won't be backed up by the father you've got two witnesses right there whenever the word of god comes when you read the bible don't you get pictures in your brain about what that stuff looks like that's just the reflection of that's a father showing you he's a part of it got me and so there are sometimes you can read things and you just nothing comes to you but that's not true about the bible It's the only book you can read where you get a picture right there. You may not get it every time you read something or every passage you read, but go back to it again and see if the Father won't show you that there's a real concept working there. There's something real that's right there. That's why many times people, sinners will think the Bible is just a bunch of stories, a bunch of parables, but it's real to us. You understand why it's so real to us? The Bible says by faith we know. 
certain things. You're, the faith of the Son of God illuminates this stuff and makes it real to us. It projects it on your mind, projects it on your spirit, so that you know it exists somewhere. You know it's real. So like people say, oh, every Christian needs to go to Israel. Why? I got Israel in the Bible. Right? I mean, you know, if you never get to go there, I mean, if you want to go, go. But don't let anybody condemn you about not going. You know what I'm saying? So they can sell you a ticket and get you a hotel room, make a profit off of you. Not everything they say comes for your own good. You know that. He says here, he says in verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name. So that's also a marriage term. You get to use a man's name if you're legally married to him. That ought to stop Jezebel from her little witchcraft. Huh? Using somebody's name just so you can. Huh? You know, that's the thing now. You know, some of these women that have babies for all kind of men, they all the babies got a different name. Well, which one was you married to? Well, I wasn't married. Oh, Lord, here we go. We got another problem here. Let the kid take the name, take away your reproach. So it would look like you got married to four different men and none of them was no good, right? Well, that was free. It ain't even in the Bible. In my mind. They even, I can't quote you a chapter and verse for that, so that one was free. And he says, truly I tell you, verse 12, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. He says also, and they will do even greater works than these because I am going to the Father. He says, and I will do whatever you ask in my name. Woo! Let's put a ring on that one. Oh! You mean you found a brother who says he gonna do whatever you ask him to do? Let's put a ring on that one that that's the one. Huh? You don't let him go nowhere. Don't be acting funny around him. This is time to bring out them skills, the female tricks, the bag of skills. and Well, you don't... Don't give him no money now because it's always off limits. <laughs> it's, a, it's against my religion. <laughs> I remember my husband telling me one time, he said, he said, uh, well, did you get paid? I said, did I? <laughs> you get amnesia about the paycheck. He said, put that money in the paycheck. Hey, we working together. I said, are we? Do I know you? They're real stupid. They're real retarded. He never did see a page stub. He never knew what I made. Sorry, girls. I mean, if that offends somebody's religion, I'm real. Did I say something wrong? Okay. What I thought. 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 I mean, he had one thing in mind. I had something else. So we had we we met in the middle somewhere. Hello. Then he looked at it. He said, "That ain't enough for me to be happy over." I said, "I told you." <laughs> no, but anyway. So he says, "We must believe the Father, and He are just alike." 
that he does the works the father decides and he obeys the father perfectly and they are one if you don't believe that then you can never believe that righteousness avails you anything because you would always have some goofy idea that if you obey and you walk in the spirit and you obey God that that you can mess up somehow and don't we believe it Mm -hmm. so here we got a flaw in our understanding about this relationship between us and Christ and the father because if he could obey the father perfectly when he walked on earth now that he's living in you you gonna mess that up I don't think so and see we'll think because say something happens and we got to wait on something that's always the trigger for our insecurity we think we did something wrong but can I tell you that your obedience is perfect and flawless as a Christian when you obey the Spirit of God well I don't know if I obeyed did you do the best you could were you attempting to do the right thing then you then you did it flawlessly and perfectly but it didn't work out right neither did everything Jesus did You're, that's not your that's not your job to make it work out right it's your job to obey and leave it alone we got to learn how to believe things folks most Christians run around condemning themselves because something hasn't happened yet like you can make it happen we don't like the word wait in fact faith people won't even let you use that word you understand what i'm saying because they make you think everything is like trigger 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 uh, uh, uh miracle a minute something wrong with you if your miracle if you got to crawl a bit to get your miracle what difference does it make you still got it if yours came instantly if it came by crawling you still got it so jesus says here he says you and the father and i are one which means that when i come to live in you you're obeying the father when you do what i tell you to do and the father's pleased with this so many people feel they can't please god to save their lives like something's always lacking something's always missing we can always do better why don't you rest in the fact that jesus already said he'll come and live in you and that should be enough that should be satisfying to us that he lives in us and he's motivating what are you in you got him in there and you fighting him every day i don't think so most christians are attempting to obey god why don't we consider our attempts good enough he says his grace is sufficient for us what you've been graced to do that's cool you know people get messed up in their heads about giving all the time that's why we have inconsistency many times in our giving they want to put pressure on themselves to give you know i gotta 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 give. you ain't gotta do nothing god's grace is sufficient. whatever you do by the grace of god what do you have faith that you can do do that consistently and look for more faith to do more we have to believe that the father and the son are one other than that we think we can mess up somehow that when we obey the spirit of god we're not pleasing the father and that's just wrong you know people say stuff like uh uh uh, you know 
something uh, they something's wrong with their spirit there's nothing wrong with your spirit when you're born again you understand what I'm saying? Your spirit is, is this, or you got uh, you need deliverance in your spirit. No, you don't. Amen. You just need to put the word in so you can obey what your spirit is telling you. You've got to trust the word of God and trust what's in your spirit. You know, we spend more time watching other people's behavior, judging that they, well, they, they just ain't doing right. They need to do this. What do you need to do? Huh? You need to obey God. Leave him alone. This will make you leave people alone. You understand what I'm saying? You'll have more respect for the Christ that's living in them. And he said to him, he says, if you, he said, whatever you ask in my name. It's another marriage term. You got his name. And it's legitimate. Because you're born of his spirit. So you're married to him. And that's how you get to use his name. You can prove it. How'd you use his name before you became a Christian? It was a cuss word. Huh? It was a foul huh? Now it's respect, ain't it? Mm-hmm, that it is. Because he's living in there. He's watching everything you say. So you know you're getting checked if you mess that up. Huh? Because you know when you get sick, that name is going to get you out of trouble. When you need every co-sign all your prayers with that name. In other words, you're saying, when you use his name, you're saying, I have his permission to ask this, and I know he'll get it for me. No doubt about it. So the name signs all of that. Gives you permission, gives you access, and gives you a yes answer. It's all yes and amen in his name. Amen. He says here, what verse, what chapter, verse 15. He says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Ow! You mean I got to do something? He says, and it's kind of like this, the way he says this, if you love me, obey my commandments. And I know you think that's going to be hard. So I'm asking the Father to give you somebody else to help you. If the Father living you in you and the Son living you ain't enough, we'll send somebody else to help you. And this somebody will make his presence evident to you. So the Holy Spirit is always the evidence of the Father and the Son. Amen. If the father's the brains, the concepts, the ideas, the son is the word expression, then you have to have somebody to give evidence of their existence in your life. And that's the Holy Spirit. Huh? He's the follow-up guy. He's the clean-up guy. Amen? He's the one who puts it all into motion. Amen? And so the Bible, uh, ex- well, the way it expresses the Holy Spirit uh, hovering over the word and making his making God known through his presence so when he hovers over something that means that he is watching over it to perform it so the Holy Spirit is the performance of the father and the son so when the Holy Spirit is with you you know that you're obeying the Father and the Son. You know that you're in the will of God through the presence of the Holy Spirit. 
If he's present with you and is gentle and guiding or just hovering, you cool. But sometimes he lets you know you're about to wreck a train. Because you get on the inside of you and he's trying to put the brakes on. Or then he'll say, oh, you did it anyway. And then you say, oh, Lord, please forgive me. I'm sorry. You got me? So he, he knows how to communicate with us. So he's the expression. He's the, the one who carries it out. He also is the one who the Bible, the um, people who study these things feel the Holy Spirit is the feminine side of the Godhead. Because he acts like a crazy woman sometimes. Huh? Helping you, making sure you understand you ain't out the game, you know, some kind of consolation, that kind of stuff. He's kind of like a good mother, but you don't really trust her a whole lot because you can't, you can't manipulate her. huh? You know, kids watch their mothers a lot to see what's going to get them on their side. But Holy Spirit, you can't predict what he'll do see? because he'll make his presence absent sometimes just to make you seek Jesus said we'll do the greater works why is this true because as an intercessor seated beside the father but also living in us he can move us in directions as a body that he could not do with himself alone with a bunch of disciples here so he can direct us in ways that will increase his presence down here on earth the fact that there are so many believers down here gives him an opportunity to do greater in the sense of more works than he was able to do but also he's able to engineer through the gifts of the spirit and the working of the holy spirit much greater opportunity for us to do for him for instance it was nothing for the disciples to see five thousand people saved at one time this was a greater work jesus could feed that many and he can gather that many he couldn't heal that many but he never got them saved salvation is a greater work you see what i'm saying salvation wasn't offered to them until he went to the cross so that in itself is a greater work you see what i'm saying so hid the fact that you have the mastermind interceding for you it's a no-fail covenant because he can see from afar off his wisdom is greater than any wisdom in the earth you've got all that living in you why do we sit up and wonder and worry and doubt and fear you got so much power living on the inside of you and people say all you got to do is learn how no you don't have to learn nothing you just move out the way learn how to be obedient and then move out the way so as he will be such a part of us amen he will be such a part of us as an intercessor that we're going he can release more power to us to do more than he had ever done the other thing that is as his heirs we are considered by the bible the latter house so we're the latter generation of jesus and as such we have more glory dwelling in it the glory of the latter house will be greater 
than that of the former house. So he can increase in glory as we walk on the earth. He tells us we have a blank check to ask whatever we need. Why? Because we belong to him. He loves us. He trusts us. One day, this all will be ours. Whatever belongs to him one day will be ours. So he must trust us in some way in order that our management of the kingdom and the earth will be according to the way he wants it. So we're training down here. We're training for for living with him throughout eternity. Most uh, covenants are limited or have limits. This one's unlimited. When he says, ask anything in my name, he means that. Even the things that we think about asking and we never do and shut it down because we know he'll never give us that or he'll never ask anyway. Huh? Ask anyway. That's how I finally got a house. I kept thinking in my mind the kind of house I wanted, but I didn't want to have to pay for it. I didn't want to have to use what I thought was going to be too much money to pay for a house. And I stalled for over a year. All I had to do was not put any limits on the asking price of the property and could have found what God. You see what I'm saying? We we think, oh, well, I can't go over that because that's what my budget. He says, ask anything. Amen. Ask anything. You think he'll stick you with something you can't afford? So all I had to do was take my man-made limits off of what I was going to ask him, and I was able to find the house. In fact, when I talked to God about the house right before I found it, I was in the shower, and I was wanting to get out of the shower. And (laughs) Gigi's husband never let them take more than an army shower, so I remembered that. I said, oh, I can't stand these people's shower all more. Let me get out of here. And I said, oh, God, just send me something wonderful. I don't care what what it costs. (laughs) And so, but what it wound up being was I paid exactly what I wanted to pay for it all. See, the limit I had set before, I couldn't find it because what my vision was was not in that man's price range at that price. But what I had to do was raise man's, take the limit off man's value to find the value of God in it for me. And when I found what I wanted, I wound up paying what I expected to pay for one. I just set that as my ceiling. It wasn't found in that realm. You have to take the limits off God in order to get what he has for you. He will not work in our meager categories. When he says ask anything, and sometimes your number comes up for obeying this scripture. Let me show it to you. He says... He says, and I will do whatever, verse 13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father will be glorified in the Son. You may ask me anything. He repeats it twice. So what that means is most of us are going to have to be compelled to do that at some point. We're going to have to ask outside of the realm of our little finite thinking. We're going to have to ask into the realm of impossibility. We're going to have to ask out of what the doctors say. We're going to have to ask outside of what the lawyers. We're going to have to fulfill that scripture so that he can get glory out of your life. Because he's not going to sit in your life and just you be an average person. He's got to project himself 
in your life and be known as the one who's doing that in your life at some point. So don't think that this is something, a little safe covenant that you can live in and just live it. Oh, I can just live in this little world. No, you have to bounce out of that because he's going to compel you out of necessity, out of compassion, out of some motivation. He's going to compel you outside of the limits of what you think he's capable of doing so that he can get glory out of your life. Why don't we stop? Father, we thank you for what you're doing in us and through us.